Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit. This is episode 196. I'm Sean and here's Ronan. Hello everyone, you're very welcome and thank you for joining us on our countdown of the top 100 games of all time. We are up to numbers 40 to 31, Sean. And the higher up the list, the more, to me anyway, subjective it gets. Because we're getting into games that we've played lots and lots and lots of times, meaning our family love them, our friends love them, and we've had many, many good times with these. So, slightly more personal picks as we go up. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I've definitely got one on my list that... Uh is a very, very personal choice, and people are going to be going, what? Why is that even in these top 100? But, Ronan, I'm getting this sense of deja vu. I just can't shake it. Are you, are you feeling the same? That's shocking. You're a terrible man. Honestly, <laughs> you're, you're mocking me. Sean's laptop went poop about five seconds after we finished recording this episode. <laughs> so uh, we're back again. We, we could do this, Sean. Refine the magic. We're gonna we are gonna absolutely refine the magic. We're gonna come at this from different angles, Rodan. You'll have your comebacks ready for all the games you hate. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so <laughs> we kinda know what's coming up, but we'll do our best to act surprised. Ooh. Ooh, I didn't see that coming. Is that good? Is that was that good acting? Number forty for me, Sean <laughs> <laughs> is a Euro game that in my household is a modern classic about journeying across from Europe through Asia to get all the way across to China, following the paths and the voyages of Marco Polo. And the secret to Marco Polo is its dice allocation, which has been done a lot more than it was when Marco Polo first came out, yet this still stands out because of the tightness to it, the tightness of resources, the tightness of time you've not got enough actions and rounds to do all the things you want to do when you first roll those dice on the first round you look at the task ahead of you and you say this is going to be impossible i'm never going to score any points but you start with your own sort of slight tweaks slight power depending on what personality you are and each of the cities in which you can place out training posts, you can get a special power, a special way to convert things or make resources or in some way get your engine going and by picking and being very strategic in what you grab, you can eventually build yourself an engine that will maybe turn for half a turn. Because you don't have time enough to build an engine and run it and run it and run it. That will get boring. This is about just getting there and just getting enough to finally achieve at the end the things that you have pointed out at the beginning that you wanted to achieve. So it needs a bit of learning. There's definitely some skill to it. You get better as you play it. But always an interesting tight Euro puzzle Voyages of Marco Polo, my number 40. Marco! Polo? Marco! Polo! I found you. Ah, oh, there you are. It wasn't very hard. Uh, Marco Polo is a game in which I, I enjoy the plays I've had of it. You kind of ruin it for me because you're very good at this run. And although you do claim that Rachel's better than you, I don't believe you because I've never not seen you destroy everyone you're playing with you just get this game for some reason but i do like it and it's been very close to being bought a few times and never quite got over the line i don't think that's a big fan so that's probably one of the reasons but yeah good start to the show run well done you excellent 
I'm quite confident that you're about to carry on this good start. <laughs> yes, well, we we know that we're very close on this, and Zombicide is the official game pit for number 40 of all time. Two, 42. <laughs> Coming from, oh, we, we, we've we got, uh, what was the name for for Simon or come on? Was it Sherry? Oh. <laughs> Sherry! <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'd forgotten it as well. I think I blanked that whole episode out of my mind. <laughs> we did get told off by our friend Paul, didn't we, about the the, the singing episode, the infamous singing episode. We better wait, Paul. Speaking of Paul, oh, Paul's yeah, public on. service announcement. We forgot it this time around. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's actually a very good public service announcement. So go okay, ahead. so Parks on beside. This is number forty. My number forty-two. Great game. Let's move on from there. Paul has said, especially if you're in the UK, but probably in other countries as well, if you join your local library for free, obviously you get access to lots of books. But something else you want to point out is that there is an online archive of publications you get access to, and it includes every month the latest episode of Tabletop Gaming Magazine. So, if you want some board game content for free, join up your local library and Tabletop Gaming Magazine is available there online. And thank you, Paul, for bringing that to our attention. Sean, Zombicide, great game. It is a great game. Just quickly, yeah, that is a fantastic shout by Paul. And even though he did start singing, which a little bit good, a little bit bad, Paul. So, Zombicide, uh, Ronan's going to tell me off now. I'm going to tell the story again. I was a fire pan and I beat (laughs) 7,000 zombies in one go by rolling a million sixes. It was about 10. And I saved the day with a frying pan. And that's the point. The point is, and it's something that I know Ronan really enjoys. What I don't understand is when we go out for a meal, you, you like walk around telling people the story. Are you thinking people are going to pay for your dinner or something? Or what's... You tell It'll happen. Story. It'll happen one day. <laughs> You're that Sean. <gasps> oh, it's you. Oh, my God, I've heard about this. <laughs> we'll go back to Mudtown. There'll be a statue if you put up. There you go. So... Zombicide does what something that Ronan really enjoys in games, and I really enjoy in games. It creates stories, and the stories that you remember and you talk about afterwards, even if I bore everyone with the the frying pan story, it's still there, and it's great. Many more like it. I just like that one the best. So Zombicide, fantastic experience. My number 40. Speaking of stories, Sean, you and I are, in fact, members of nobility, in a storied world of fame. Are we now? Tell us more. Are you not Sir Sean of the Haggis? I am Sir Sean of the Haggis. Would you like to explain what that means? <laughs> Tell me, who knighted you? Himself, Mr George R. R. Martin of Game of Thrones fame, knighted us. And we've shared, as you said in the last episode, I believe, many a glass of Baileys with him. So it's easy for you to explain because you're like, I'm Sir Sean of the Haggis. I was knighted in Scotland by George R. R. Martin. Now explain why I'm Sir Barry of the Haggis. Slightly more difficult. For we'll some reason. It's, we'll right. be- <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. My number 39, wittering about how great we are being Knights of Westeros, is a Game of Thrones, the living card game. It was a period in our life where we were massively into Game of Thrones and we got to meet the author and we got to meet members of the cast before they were members of the cast and lots of different things. And this was out at the time. So the theme absolutely hit home for me. What it also did was I love collectible card games. I love games in which you're building your own deck. It is massively interactive and mean. You are attacking each other and defending, but very in keeping 
with the whole uh, theme of Game of Thrones is that every attack you make actually opens up opportunities for others to attack you. And it is probably the most political game I've played. People talk about diplomacy and stuff like that. Yeah, but you know people are going to be absolute dupes to you in that. In a Game of Thrones, actually, the threat is usually enough to affect what's going on. And turn order becomes very important. There's an interesting way of doing that. It is best played with four. There is a dual system in which you can play with two, which completely changes up the elements. It becomes very much more head-to-head, -head and you're banging heads of each other. While that can work, it is very, very mean. Game of Thrones LCG with four players who know it, who are not going to take offence at the fact that you're going to be mean to each other all the way through. The fact that the characters and the stories and the locations all come through and what you're playing, it's just a fabulous LCG experience. And my 39 game of all time, a Game of Thrones living card game. I really like this one, Ronan. It's my favourite of the Fantasy Flight sort of living card games. Didn't get along with Lord of the Rings at all. Marvel Champions, so-so. It's okay. I know you love it. But this is the one that I always really, really enjoyed. Yeah, there's various issues that I, I don't own it anymore. Um, some because it is better with a higher player count. Some, some of it is because uh, Nat doesn't really like in-your-face games. And that's what it becomes as a two-player game. But it's, a, it's such a good game. and such a good lot of fun around the table when you play this. So, yet another good choice. Well done. I'm not sure I'd call it fun, unless you're the one winning. <laughs> well, true, true. Interest, anyway. And so my number 39 is Dinosaur Island. And it comes from Pandasaurus Games. Dinosaur Island is essentially, to me, Jurassic Park, the board game. I've dabbled with Dinosaur World and Dinogenics, and Dinosaur Island is still my absolute favourite of that type of game. Yes, I love the theme, but there's also a good Euro game behind it where you're putting DNA together to make your dinosaurs. You've got to look after your security. You've got various characters that can come in to help you do things. It's a worker placement game at heart where you've got to be mindful of where you place your workers and get extra workers in if you can and manage your money. Money is very tight in the game. So economic game, Euro game about dinosaurs. It's me. It's going to have me all over it. I absolutely love it. So Dinosaur Island is my 39. I'm maybe <laughs> say it's production and theme over mechanisms for Dinosaur Island. I'm not convinced the game is that good. Well, you're wrong. Okay, I might do the rest of the episode in this voice. <laughs> My number 38 is getting a reprint and a shift up and a change of one of the fundamental systems, and it is Cyclades. Does it need that change? Who knows? Because the original is the 38th best game of all time. It was my highlight of Aircon last year, which we banged on about. It is themed around uh, ancient Greece and we are different factions amongst the uh, Cyclades of the islands and we are attempting to build them up and develop them and also control them and we're going to do that via troops and via ships and via getting creatures to help us out and all the time every round there's an auction to get the favour of certain gods and whichever god you win allows you to take different actions be it building up your troops, building up your ships, whatever it might be. The auction mechanism to me is fabulous. They're talking about changing it to make it sort of move quicker and be less granular. I think that that nature of it, the granulature, is very important because it can come down to one coin here and there as to how many troops I can get out or can I build that extra ship that I need to make the chain and whatever it might be. So I hope they don't take away some of the subtlety 
pushing for a little improvement in playtime because to me the auction the bidding although you're not involved in every bid if you're involved in the game and you're concentrating every change of bid matters and every time someone wins a certain god you should be like okay so now they're getting the fort which means they're going to build a metropolis there meaning i now might have to win aries because i'm going to make that move across to there and you should be watching what everyone is doing and then when everyone's in there and in the zone and giving it max and really honed to a, a razor's edge, Sickly's is absolutely fabulous. Best played with the Hades expansion, which loosens it up a little bit. But um, yeah, my 38 of all time, Sickly's, and I'm pretty sure you like it, Sean. I do like it, but is it Cyclades or Cyclades? Because I ask, because you use both in that sentence, in that description. Well, you've ruined the fact I was covering myself there. <laughs> So you would you would say Cyclades, yeah? I think it, I think they're supposed to be called Cyclades, but uh, oh, did you have Bethany Hughes? I've heard the name, the TV about. historian. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I do. So she um she went to school literally like a couple hundred yards away from me. She's an Eden lady. She is doing a current series on Treasures of the World. Mm-hmm. So we're what, watching it every Saturday. It comes out and. Every time she's going somewhere, she's using a different pronunciation for stuff that I've been reading about. And I'm like, what? Is that how you say it? What? I'm sure she's doing it deliberately. Like we, were, um, we were in Turkey last year. We went, we went to some, I thought, Lycian tombs, like the Lycian theatre and that. No, the Lycians. Really? I would have said Lycian as well. Q. Caitlin attempted to lick me all the time every time she said it. Uh, the Lickians, Dad. Uh, go away, grotty thing. Anyway, I don't know. So that's why the the Kiklades. <laughs> the Kiklades is my. Kiklades is a fantastic game. I really enjoy it. It was very much in my thinking for my top hundred. I think if I'd played more games and maybe if I owned it, it would be in my top hundred. But I think it might be the highest Ray game in my opinion that's outside of my own collection. So, yeah, I, I really enjoy playing it, and the Hades expansion definitely adds a little bit to it. So, another good choice, Ryan, and you are on fire, sir. I am on fire, and you're about to choose something to which the expansion also greatly improves an already fine game. It does indeed. My, my number 38 is Pillars of the Earth, and you're absolutely right. The expansion does make it a a more balanced game, for sure, and more interesting. And what do I love about Pillars of the Earth? Well, I always say to everyone, if the first thing I think about when I think of a Euro game is Pillars of the Earth. It's just got Euro written all over it. It just looks like it should be a Euro game. It's got that, I think it's Michael Reinecke art. Yeah, everything everything you think about is set in a certain period. You're building a cathedral, all of those all those tropes. But it's still a really good game that you're using cards for multiple uses, your worker placement, you're blocking people out, you're scoring points all over the place. Yes, there is an issue towards the end of each round where people don't have the most interesting things to do. I think that's one of your gripes about it, isn't it, Ron? I mean, you're still the only answer I had about it. No, carry on. No, no, fine, fine. I'll think of something else to say, shall I? <laughs> Sorry, I should, I should have remembered. So, yes, Pillars of the Earth, my number 38. It's been around a long time in my collection, and it shall stay for a long time more. Do you remember when we went that weird email exchange with Cosmos about reprinting Pillars of the Earth? I vaguely do, yes. Do you remember the one thing we told them to do? Make sure you include the expansion. Reprint the expansion. It will sell more than the base game. 
What yeah. did they do? They printed it without the expansion. And now you see it everywhere bargain basements because like was <laughs> UK, tens Cosmos UK, like they print science kits and stuff like that. So they print tens of thousands at a go. So when they like all pre-print a board game, they'll make tens of thousands of them and uh, yeah. Every time I see them in a bargain bin, I'm like, I hope they don't come back and ask us any questions. <laughs> <laughs> but they never did the expansion, and we're here talking about it, saying, get the expansion, it makes it much better. It does make it much better, but you can't get it anywhere. And I understand that could be annoying for people, and they might be like glaring at their phones right now, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, it must be irritating. I'm really sorry. <laughs> but it's a fine, fine game. That That thing that you stole from me, because you never mentioned it the first time you mentioned it, so, you know, plagiarism, uh, yeah. is that, yeah, last few actions of each turn tend to be slight duds out of the 15 or 18 actions whatever are being taken. So um, better at higher play counts as well, but a fine game. I like Pizzi Earth a lot, and it would be uh, in the next 100 for me. Ooh, what's your number 37? My number 37 is a small auction game, probably one of the first fillers I ever played, and I fell in love with it, and I thought all small games must be this good, and they're not. They're not as good as for sale, which is a simple two-phase game in which you are bidding with coins in order to collect properties of different values, but those values don't matter within themselves. You're going to use those properties in the second phase in order to sell them off for checks in like a face-down I'm going to say blind bid, that will put people off. Pretend it's not a blind bid. Just pretend it's something that's very clever, because it is. And it lasts 20 <laughs> minutes, and you can teach non-gamers, or you can play it with gamers, and it works. It's very simple. It's very quick. It's very interactive. There are ways of setting people up so that they end up spending way more money than they want to, and it's hilarious. And it is a game of skill. Although, when you first play, you're a bit like, what was the skill in this? Well, I took it to work, and I taught them, and they were like, this is just a game of chance. And then I won four games in a row. I cue much abuse from my colleagues saying, what are you doing? What's the trick to this? I'm like, no, no trick. I'm just playing the game. So I, I earn myself some new enemies, as I tend to do a lot when I play games, which is sad. For sale, Sean, it's 37th best game in the world. For sale is a fine game. Again, one that was in consideration for my top 100. I really enjoy it. It's something that makes me come out of my, my safe zone in that I like to play games sort of as I see them in the moment. I'm very much a tactical player rather than a strategic player. But this one makes me think ahead because there is that second half that you've got to plan for. If you don't plan for, that's probably where your colleagues were going wrong. Because if you don't plan for the second half, you're just left high and dry and you, you end up with a load of rubbish. So a, a very clever game, as you said, Ronan, and something that I really enjoy playing. I, I do own this one. So yes, For Sale is a cracking game. If for sale is bringing the strategic gamer out in you, I'm afraid you might. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, just a, li a little tickle. Like not, I'm not saying it's the most strategic game, but it makes me think ahead, and I don't like to do that. In games. I'm just like saying. To... You said for sale is the one game in which I'm strategic. I'm just, I'm quoting you. I'm just like you know, this is your public persona. I'm <laughs> now there are other games that force me to do it, but for sale is is a, a more obvious one that does. Right, moving on. My number 37, and yes, Ronan, I know you don't like it. It's Raiders of the North Sea. Champion if you keep giving my answers because you've heard them all before, I'm going to come around to Birmingham and I'm going to set light to your car. Carry on. You can go to Birmingham. I don't live in Birmingham, so... Uh, yeah. Doodly! <laughs> Doodly! <laughs> 
Raiders of the Lost Sea is very much my favourite of the Shem Phillips Garfield Games games. I love the worker placement and worker taking. I don't know what you call it. Removal. In that you place one down and you take one up from a, another place, which is very important because you are setting people up if you if you don't take the right things or if you leave the wrong things down i think that's very clever i think the cards are all really clever you're building up your viking party to go raiding cards have all got different powers on them so you've got to set it up just right for you um, but still make sure you've got enough power to be going taking other islands where you go is important because you're bringing different colors of workers in which give are stronger and or weaker in certain places. I just think it's a really good game and absolute winner in our household. So Raiders of the North Sea is my number 37. Well, you've already said I don't like it. No, it's, it's, it's <laughs> fine. I think there's not enough variety in where you can go. And I think that the players who are in contention is locked in a bit too early. And you can be sitting there going, there's no way I'm going to win this because they've got ahead of me and we're all doing very similar things. So there's not enough variety of strategy for my taste. You know what? I'm going to be nice to you. I actually did have a little look at some of the comments and things on Raiders. And that is a quite a frequent comment in, in the section on the BGG page. And I think a lot of people would say that the expansions are needed to make this a good game. So, which is fine. I like it, uh, just the base game, but the expansions are there. If, if you needed so yeah i understand what you're saying if you tickle me with the expansions i'll give them a roll <laughs> okay fair enough now number 36 has slid down my rankings slightly from the heights of when i first played say half a dozen games of it but we should not focus on that too much because king's dilemma is still my 36th bestest game in the whole of all time why is it so good why is it at 36? I'm going to focus on that rather than it slid. It slid because it all went stories and I don't know who's going to win and I don't know why they're going to win. But the story, the choices, the interaction, the memories, the people divining their own motivations as to why they're making certain decisions and then just doubling down on decisions for no reason and saying, well, I did this like last time or two games ago, so I'm just going to carry on doing that. Now, that all makes for good laughter, good conversation, good banter. I was trying to use a different word, <laughs> a word other than banter <laughs> that means the same thing. And that's all well and good. This, this slight caveat to it is that because you're not being motivated by mechanisms and winning, because it's very hard to know what am I actually doing here in order to win the game overall, slight thematic disconnect in the timings of things where every game is supposed to be a whole generation, and yet the stories are just moving on by a few weeks or a few months when you're going through them, you're like, but isn't this supposed to be like a whole like 20 years later in terms of what we're doing, but the stories aren't moving on. So I think they could have tied things together a little bit, which stops it from being at the elite, elite, top, 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 top. But it's a fabulous game, and I'm very, very much looking forward to the sequel, Queen's Dilemma, which I fully backed. And it is certainly worth getting into King's Dilemma because it's not quite like anything else I've ever played and it's done very well. And there's a single-player video game out, which I have no idea if it's any good, but it's there. I had no idea what this was. I think it was Essen that you picked this one up originally, Ronan. It was from... Uh, is it a horrible game? 
Guild, Horrible Guild, they're called now. Horrible Guild, yeah, yeah. I remember you going and picking it up, and I was like, I have no understanding of what this is. It's just a load of envelopes in a box. Well, because, But then you started explaining it to me, and the way you explained it was that you have to take on the persona of the characters you're playing or the faction that you're playing. And you can't really think, like, how do I win this game? You've got to think, right, what would that character do? And that is what sort of tickled me and made me think, you know what, I really fancy that. And listening to your sort of, you go, a bit, bit of a roller coaster ride at times. Sometimes it was really up there and sometimes it was a bit flat for you. All in all, you, as you've just said, it's your number 36 game of all time. So I am hoping to get to the table. I own it. We've got Nathan and Terry come up to, very local to us now, so... I'm hoping to get a regular game group together and get this to the table. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I will say you don't have to play it anyway. There's nothing in the game, and there's no real driver to play it in a certain way. But to make it fun, or it's best crack in the group if everyone tries to do that, I would suggest. My number 36 is a pick-up-and-deliver game. And doing this top 100 list, I realised how much I really enjoy pick-up and deliver games. But they can't be just sort of bog-standard, go there, do that, and you get points. There has to be fluff around them, there has to be a bit of excitement, there has to be a bit of exploration and things like that. And this is what this game is all about. It's Merchant of Venus, now I'm going to upset the purists. I have only played and only want to play the Fantasy Flight Games version. Yes, I know the Avalon Hill version is very, very highly thought of. And a lot of people like that in strip back. But I like, all, as I said, all the fluff thrown on. There's things to explore. There's planets you unearth. There's races you unearth. You're learning new technology. You're upgrading your ship all the time. And there's different things. You're either delivering people or items. And I, I just find it a really, really exciting game. A fun game to play. And yeah, as I said, I've realised I really like good pick-up and deliver games. So Merchant of Venus... Second edition is my number 36. So I've only played the original version. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what you described pretty much describes the first version as well, to be honest. You go around discovering things, delivering different items, upgrading your ship. I don't know the difference between the two. I'm not sure. But saying you don't want to play the other version is a bit nutty. I'm just pointing that out. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> I played this before the FFG reprint. Uh, someone had, uh, Soren had a homemade homebrew thing, which looked amazing at the time. And I was one that I was sort of, it's one of those I say, oh, yeah, I should play that one day. And I never really wanted to play. And then it came up and I'm like, yeah, do you know what? I'll give it a go. Why not? I'm doing nothing else this evening. I could sit here and sort of look at my toes while I play that. And I'm really glad I did because I enjoyed the original rules greatly. Happy to give the other rules a go. I'd be happy to play it again. It's just never rolled around. No one has Merchant of Venus at any point. It never gets played. I never see it. It's a game with a reputation so beyond the number of players I've ever seen. Partly through Eric <laughs> Samara, partly through the, the mythology of it never being able to re- reprint it. Then, of course, if you remember the controversy around the reprint and who had the rights and all the rest of it. So anyway, Merchant of Venus, I greatly enjoyed my once ever play of it and I'd happily play it again either version. Cool. Right, let's do some. Let's make a promise that we we will not keep. I will bring it to LobsterCon, and we're both there in April, and we will try and get a game of it. How about that? Agreed. Seeing as we're talking <laughs> about cons, do you want to talk about the con that you're going to in like two days' time? Oh yes. So uh, we're off to. Well, I'm off to Aircon. Me and Nat are off to Aircon. It will be the ninth of 
March to the 12th of March. We always love Aircon, really chilled out, really nice place to play games, few vendors, but yeah, always an awesome time. The what the what's it watch it played even crew will all be down again. So yeah, I'm very much looking forward to Aircon and hopefully I'll do a bit of a report afterwards for you all. Aircon is one of the things that Rachel and I usually go to. Unfortunately I've got to work this weekend, but that's all cool. I have to pay the bills. And whenever we go away anywhere and there's any chance that a game's getting played, there is always a yellow box, plastic little boxing that comes with us that contains two two-player games. And I'm always saying, Should we play Hanamakoji? Because that's the other game in the box. And she's always saying, Hmm, let's play Ravens of Three Sahashri because she adores it and I obviously love it. It's my number 35 of all time. It is the very limited communication two-player game in which one of you is attempting to save the other from their own psyche by constructing a poem off the heart from different coloured and numbered cards being put out and trying to match colours and numbers. But one of you knows what colours and numbers you need, the other one doesn't, and they're the ones actually playing the cards. And you have to, without talking... And just the fact of taking one card out of the pattern built each turn. Try and get across to the other player what it is you need from them. And you get better and better as you play. When you first play it, you will be destroyed. And you will start slowly learning the things that can go your way. The game can still screw you a bit with luck. We've played it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And love it. It's an evergreen for us. And my number 35 of all time is the Ravens of Three Sahashri. Well, if you were going to offer me Hanamakoji or anything else, including Monopoly, I'd be taking anything else. So, well done, Rachel, for showing some sense. Shall I tell you that my Kickstarter just turned up with all the bits for for Hanamakoji, and I'm going to make you play the sequel. No, you're not. I am. We talked about this. I am. Geisha's Road. (laughs) It's fine. It's uh, the actions are exactly the same, but the repercussions are slightly different. So, Ravens of the Three Sahashri is a game that I've softened to over the years. It was softened to to the point where I would actually play it now. I think when you first described it to me, Ronan, I thought you were absolutely mental. And I thought the game was mental and I couldn't see any enjoyment in it. But I suppose hidden information games, there have been a few since and... I've started to I've started to understand them a bit more. So yeah, definitely would like to play this now. Maybe not with yourself straight away. Maybe Rachel first until I get a bit better at it, and then and then finally upgrade to yourself. No, no, she is a billion times better at this game. Than yeah, I she's am. more patient. She's more patient. It, you can't speak. How can I possibly like annoy you or blink blink at you furiously? You can't. You never see me play it. This is this is a personal attack. Move on with your rubbish number 35. Let me have a good dig at it, personal attacker. Rubbish, how dare you. My number 35 is The Fabulous Sleeping Gods by Ryan Laukat and Red Raven Games. Sleeping Gods is, at its very heart, a storytelling game. And I think the writing and the story crafting within the game is, is really well done. It's a open world sandbox game I really like those and I just like the freedom of being able to go wherever I want that's why I like things like Skyrim on the, on the Xbox so this one fits right into my wheelhouse and I think it's just it's done really well the only slight drawback I would say is the combat mechanism I think it's a clever mechanism but it's a bit laborious and a bit boring sometimes 
So it kind of takes away from what I really do enjoy, which I said is the story. So Sleeping Gods, my number 35. The mechanisms are unnecessary. <laughs> like when you're when you're trying to choose what place on your ship at the beginning of each person's turn, each character's turn, like you're like, what what am I doing this for? The story is far too slow to develop. It's just a bunch of threads that are hung out there, and then very rarely do you actually go. Oh, it takes a long time to get to the end of any of them and go, oh yeah, right, that's a resolution. After seven hours of gameplay and having twenty storylines in play, they're not that well written. Some of the locations are just exercises in frustration. You have very little clue what you should be doing, so you get it wrong, and then two hours later you manage to get back to that place and then attempt to do it again. And he's loud it by bringing out a second edition that streamlines loads of the mechanisms. <laughs> so actually, if you're going to buy one, buy the second one, because as usual, the first one is just a playtest kit. He is quite irritating for doing that. What can you do? <laughs> but I think the first one is good enough on its own. It's not like some of his games that were clearly broken and he fixes with a second edition. I think the the second one of this, which is going to be when you're sitting in there, you're in an airplane flying around the, the yeah. world that he's Distant created. skies, distant skies. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. I think that's more acceptable in that it's a completely different game with in set in the same world with the, with the same sort of mechanisms. But anyway, I am rambling. So, Ronan, what is your number 34? Talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, needs to be picked up, needs to be printed, needs wider distribution, apparently is available at least occasionally on Amazon.jp, Juliet Papa. It's Rumble Nation, the fabulous, fabulous, fabulous era majority game, which is very simple, plays very quickly, has got very clever sort of exploding reinforcement mechanism and is just absolute glory in about 20 minutes of your time and should be a major, major, major hit, and I'm just waiting for it to explode. 34, Sean, Rumble Nation is glorious. It is a fabulous game. It would be right up there, other than the fact I've only played it once or twice, and I can't get hold of a copy. I have looked at uh, Amazon.jp and... Yeah, it was quite difficult. I was I was struggling to to actually sign in and then be recognised and then trying to get it a place that actually ships to the UK. But I'm I'm perse- persevering because it's worth persevering for. It is a really good game and what little influence we do have in the board game world, right? And we should dedicate some of that to talking to publishers about this game and encouraging them to pick it up. It is worth it. I've tried and it's proven to me that I am a nobody. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you just have to do it in person and loom at them I, no you're a loomer I'm more of a blocker <laughs> you block I'll loom good right that right. it sounds like something out of like the industrial revolution <laughs> the block and loom loomer and a blocker between them both they they, they created a carpet block and, and loom down the old London docks blocking and looming <laughs> So the number, my number 34 is the game I alluded to before, which is a completely and utterly personal choice. There's not much to this game at all. It's Monza from Haber Games, and Monza is a car racing game where you are rolling dice with colours on them, and the board, the racetrack itself, has different colours all spotted around it. And you've just got to choose your optimum route, we love it in our family because there is there is a bit of dickery in there in that you can block people off, you can bump them backwards, 
And we've named our cars, we've drawn pictures of our racing car drivers, we've got a league table going, and we have a so much fun with this in our household. That's why it's in my top 50, and so my number 34 is Monza. So I backed Final Girl Season 2. Yes, you, so you were telling me yesterday, I've heard good things. Just took it easy, got the core box, couple, couple of the scenario boxes, <laughs> see if I liked it, all right? Yeah, yeah, tiny little package arrived, did it? No, no, I did, I did take it easy, genuinely. It came with loads of extras that I, wasn't, I didn't even know I was getting. It's just, it's, I've only got three boxes, I didn't go mental. Right, final goal, based on hostage negotiator, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the most abhorrent tactics that a kidnapper could possibly do or a hostage situation, a human shield. We agree or not? I would say so. Or what about a human shield involving children? That's even worse. And that's why I can't say anything bad about Monza, because you've used your beautiful boys against me. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. Thanks for your time. Great. <laughs> right, moving on. As you know, Sean... That just came to me. I thought, yeah, anyway. Number th- <laughs> it was it was a prolonged build-up, but I'll tell you what, the punchline landed. Well done. <laughs> Did it. Did it, though. Right. Last weekend, in general, actually, to be honest, Rachel and I have been taking a mental health week. Chilling out, just resetting, just taking time to be with each other and relaxing and just... Sure. So, at the weekend, all Ooh. we did was play old games that we know and we know we love and we haven't played for a while and what came to light is that the game that's my number 33 the castles of burgundy can be taken for granted so easily because it's ubiquitous it was so cheap when it was first made everyone seemed to buy a copy most people seem to adore it apart from the felled haters the points out haters i understand that as well that's fine and you forget what an amazing game it is, how well it adapts to two, three or four players, how it plays slightly different with two, three or four different players, how it's always tight, how in the drafting you always feel like you're racing to get things before the other players, but you've only got a storage of three tiles. So you can't take too many, and then you're also worried about the map play because that's where a lot of points come from, and you can be focused on getting certain tiles and forget that if I don't score points off this map, I'm going to fall behind. And there's just different factors to it within an under an hour playtime shipping goods is more important with two players whereas the grabbing of certain tiles is more important with four players it's just an absolutely fabulous fabulous system and my number 33 is the castles of burgundy don't forget how good that game is people and grab it off your shelf sometime soon and play it again and remember it yeah you absolutely do forget how good it is but i think that'll probably change when i get my all singing all dancing version running I want my £19 mostly beige version. It makes me happy. <laughs> I know it does. I know it does. That's where we are polar opposites. I am looking forward to my pre-shaded minis, acrylic, wonderful, all singing, all dancing version. So each to their own, as they say. But yeah, really good game. Always enjoy it. And yeah, what's not to like? So If you're, if, if you're silent for a second... If you, if you listen very, very closely, you'll be able to hear my tears. <laughs> tears of a clown. Anyway, moving on. I know I'm on solidish ground, given that this is based on our dock side. Wee, is, wee. Wee, 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 is Embarcadero. 
The game that we keep harping on about went so much under the radar, partly because of Renegade, partly because, I don't know, maybe the theme. The theme is quite interesting, I think. It's about when in San Francisco when they needed more housing and they started utilising the cargo ships and the cargo containers to build housing on the actual docks. So, yeah, which I think is really cool. A really cool story that I knew nothing about before in Bacadero. It's all about multi-use cards. It's about building up your portfolio of accommodation on the dockside you're you you're kind of encroaching on other people's bit there's a bit of area control going on as i said the multi-use cards you're building buildings with them but you're also getting resources and you've got no when to scrap things and oh so much going on such a clever game i'm taking it to aircon i've decided because i think nathan and terry will really enjoy it because they're coming with us and Oh, yeah, I'm going to pimp this one out to anyone who will come near and play with me. I am going to try and get Embarcadero's name mentioned, at least, in Aircon. You are fighting the good fight, my friend. <laughs> we will continue <laughs> ploughing onwards in Embarcadero. But Embarcadero and Rumble Nation, we're just going to evangelise about until some people recognise it and get it going. I don't even know how easy it is to get older Embarcadero anymore, but it is at absolutely fabulous it was my 99 and if you can be bothered to remember only due to the fact that it's been played fewer times than most of the game in fact nearly all the games on this list it's a grower when we do this list again in 5 10 30 years time wherever it might be i imagine embarcadero will only have risen and risen because every time i play i appreciate it it is one of the rare games that I'm absolutely awful at and yet still love. I'm so puzzled about how bad I am at Bacadero. I just can't work it out, but I absolutely love it. Fabulous game. Very good. Right, your penultimate game of the episode, Ronan. And this is where you start getting upset with me because I've chosen two speed games as my 32 and 31. Although this one, you're going to mention Pictionary. <laughs> you're funny. Pictomania is a racing drawing game in which there's a bunch of cards put out and you secretly get a sort of a codish sort of a thing where you're going to draw something from these cards and there's different levels of them and they get into a ridiculously difficult level and while you're drawing though you've also got to at the same time guess what everyone else is drawing from the list of words you've got in front of you and the quicker you can guess other people's the more points you score. The more people that get yours correct, the more points you score. But you will also get points when you finish first. You're going to no more guessing and no more drawing and you take something from the middle. And it's that time pressure of how well you draw, how well you guess and how quickly you do it all and whether you're rushing it to get a couple of points is worth it or holding back to be more careful. I enjoy it best. Now, it can be played with family or whatever. You can play on the easy level. That's all great. I enjoy it best at a lobster con with four other players who love Pictomania and are really good at it and we're all sweating bullets and the heat is on and we're playing at harder levels and we're like, the eyes are wide open. It's like you're switched on. It's like you know, in the middle, middle of a cage short or, or middle of a rugby match when you've got like eyes wide, everything's sweating, you're going, you're hyper aware, you're ready to react to anything. That is what I love about a game of Pictomania with some of the London on board horrible people who also love that sort of tension. And that's what elevates it from being a really good sort of family drawing game into a fabulous game because it works at both levels. So my number 32 is Pictomania. It's basically MMA with whiteboard markers. Yeah, but I always think it's a bit unfair when you start doing chokeholds on, on your opponents. That's right, listen... If they don't say they're not allowed, then it's all in Pictomania. <laughs> no holds barred. Full contact. 
But Ronan, I can't draw if you've got me in a chokehold. Sure you didn't state the rule. Use your toes. You were given four limbs. What's going on? <laughs> I quite like speed drawing games. I quite like Telestrations, and there's another game I like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is, I don't know why, this is probably the, the one area of speed gaming that I actually quite enjoy. I, I like the challenge of, of bringing what's in your head and on your card, put it again it onto the paper in a clever but quick way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not against this one. I am against your your last game of the of the episode because that's just pure abhorrence. Wow. There you go. I don't know. Sorry, I was. I thought we were going to do your very average number thirty-two before we get on. Yeah, to yeah, we'll do my one. brilliant thirty-two. Okay, that's cool, love, right, yeah. loved by everyone apart from you. My number thirty-two is Nidavellir, and I obviously, so my number thirty-two, think it's a fantastic game. It's clever and definitely doesn't outstay its welcome. And the things I like about it is that you are you, you're obviously bidding for to get to get a set collection into your hand, but it's not just a set collection because there are special cards that do special things if you get certain amounts of of the set collections into your hand. You're also not only just bidding in terms of getting those cards into your hand, you're actually putting aside and working out what coins you're going to put aside because you can you can bump up the cost of the coin so you can go up, go up by one of the coins that you have so and that's also counts towards your point scoring at the end and i think when you mesh it all together each of those individually doesn't sound great but when you mesh it all together i think it brings comes together as a really clever and fun experience and that's the devilier my number 32 so my concerns with it were were twofold one is that if it was a choice to use the upgrade system, that would be interesting, and I'd like that. It's not, because it gives you better coins for auctions later on, and also the total value of your coins scores at the end of the game. Because it's a double whammy, you have to upgrade every turn. So th there's no choice around that. So to me, that, that took away some of the subtlety that could have been there. The second thing is, when you're bidding on things, for it to be really good, like I was talking about Cyclades, Cyclades, whatever it is, Kiklades, <laughs> you need to be aware of everything that's going on in the game. With Nidavellir, because there's those heroes which got different impacts in the game and weight scoring for different players differently. Now, I think that's a good thing in an auction game, but in this case, it's too much to follow. And I, you know, there's too many different powers. So it's hard for me to judge what is actually important to everyone else. So I end up more or less bidding on what's important to me. And then I'm turning an auction game, which should be interactive, which is the large appeal of an auction game for me, into more of a solo experience where I'm just trying to build up my own tableau as efficiently as possible. And that removes the point of an auction game for me. And the upgrading removes the point of an auction game. So it's like, I, I wish almost it didn't have the auction, there was a more clever system or a system more suited to what they've ended up using for scoring and that the two halves of it mesh together better. I understand that that's a personal thing, that those are personal preferences because Navalier is liked by a lot of people, but that's why it will never hit for me and never be above sort of an okay game. So I think you dislike it for the very reasons that I like it. I think it brings a little bit of both of those elements. It isn't a pure auction game. It isn't a pure sort of set collection game. I think it brings them together. But yeah, each to their own. But one thing I can't think it, it brings them together. Last... It brings them together, but it doesn't... It makes them both solitaire experiences or more solitaire, which is not... Like, why? 
Why use those mechanisms to make it more solitary? Which I, I get some people like, but that would be my issue. Fair enough, fair enough. I have an issue, speaking of issues, with your your last game of the episode, and it almost, almost ruins what up to now was a really strong list of games from yourself. Well, firstly, thank you for the compliment. And secondly, <laughs> Magic Maze is absolute genius. Ooh. It's a cooperative game in which there's four adventurers on a modular map which will unveil as you play, and we're attempting to get those adventurers to a room to unlock an exit and then to their own exit. And the rules become more complex the more you get into it. Once you've conquered a set system, you can move on and the rules increase and you start getting separate exits for everyone. And then each adventure starts getting different powers so the dwarf can run through certain holes and the elf can do this and whatever. And then you get start getting security guards and cameras. Then with the expansion, it starts getting really mental. Okay, at the heart of it, as a player, I can only do limited actions. So maybe I can only move them all if they want to go, let's say, call it north. And then someone else has to move them if they have to go east. And because the whole thing's a maze, I can move them north twice, then I'm waiting for someone else to make the east move before I can then start doing more north moves with it, or wherever it might be. And you have to be aware of all four adventurers at all times who might need your assistance in helping them move. Then there comes in a thing where you can do a, you have to do time to keep it going because there's a, a, a timer running all the time. When you do time, you can pause because you can't speak once you get into a couple of levels, you can't speak to each other about what needs moving. And then you can start discussing your plans together. But also all the powers move around. So I'm no longer moving north. Now I'm moving east. And also I've got to do the escalators, let's say. And that just starts messing with your mind. And you start like looking at the figures that need moving north and going and concentrating on that. And going, oh, no, no, I'm the east. Oh, no, someone's at the foot of an escalator. Oh, no, what am I doing? And it creates that hilarity and it creates that pressure. Now, I think it's very funny. I think it's best played when everyone's laughing with each other and getting a bit sort of frantic and they'd be like, I can't believe I did that. And accepting that you're going to make mistakes and you're going to mess up and everyone's going to mess up and no one is great at this game, no matter what they pretend. No one is that calm and that cool and collected that they always make all their moves at the right time. There's enough going on that it's confusing to everyone. If you feel like you're going to let people down by making mistakes, or you're going to feel stressed because you can feel people waiting for you to do something, then you're not going to like Magic Maze. If you like quite like that thing, and you're able to laugh at yourself and the whole situation, and if someone starts getting a, a little bit antsy, you can just turn around and go, oh, I'm, I'm an idiot, what can I do? <laughs> just live with it. And then they can laugh about it, then you're all having an amazing time with Magic Maze. Very group dependent, but for me, I absolutely adore it. And Sean, I have not touched that bang on the table marker for a long, long, long time. The bang on the table marker has probably disappeared somewhere. <laughs> Especially if I'm playing. Uh, I do see the appeal in it. I do see why people do enjoy this game. But for me, it just seems to bring out the worst in people. People get irritated by you not knowing what you're doing, which which frustrates and unnerves you because you're like, I don't know what you're seeing that I'm not seeing. Oh, I'm an idiot. And sometimes you can laugh at that and sometimes you can't. But I think this game just tends to bring out the worst in, in people. It makes me dislike people that I really like. And I don't want to play a game that does that because I like people and I want to keep liking people. So Magic Mages isn't for me. I can see, I can see why you like it. That's the nicest thing you've ever said about Magic Maze. 
it has it has i've mellowed i've mellowed <laughs> the first i think the first episode or the first attempt at this episode i was a bit more scathing my number 31 and the last game of the episode is pandemic legacy season one very important season one pandemic legacy season one is the game in which certainly for me made me appreciate bog standard or base pandemic i never really got on with it but this made me see this little subtle nuances in it, it would again it's throwing fluff at a, a mechanism that i could like but didn't really get on with but then because it threw fluff at it and made it more interesting for me i started to appreciate the base mechanism itself pandemic legacy season one is the game that's responsible for the slew of of legacy games that are around now and i think it still holds water as being one of the finest ones if not the finest one absolutely in love with this game so that's my number 31 yeah it's fabulous the biggest issue with it is that it ruined legacy games for <laughs> forever in that it set the bar <laughs> so high risk legacy was the first one it was okay it was interesting for the stuff you were able to do for the first time there was a novelty mm. factor as a game it wasn't all that Pandemic Legacy came along and as a game was fabulous, as a legacy game was fabulous and tied the two things together in a way that has very, very rarely, if ever, been done since. And certainly its sequel struggled to live up to it, as did all other legacy games printed. It, it set the bar. We thought that all games were going to be like that. I said last time we recorded, if you took us back five or ten years, we were saying, what would we most want to see in games? And it was more campaign games, more legacy games. Now people are saying there's too many campaign legacy games. I don't think so. <laughs> I think a campaign almost always makes a game better because there's a bit of progression and a bit of story and, and the, the challenge mixes up. It can be a cheap way, in fact, of making the challenge mix up and almost throwing in little modules and expansions without calling them modules and expansions and just tying them together. So I, I think it's a great development that Pandemic Legacy certainly kick-started into the hobby and it gives you more options on what you can do. I think it's a fabulous choice, Sean. Pandemic Legacy Season 1 is a marvellous game. Cool. We've ended on a high there, Ronan. And as, as I said throughout the episode, I think you had a really strong list of games there. And we are starting to... At times, we, we are obviously going to have different ideas on what's a good game. But I think as we get closer to the number one, I think all the games are where we start to meld as, as sort of players that people who play together quite a lot. And all the games that we enjoy together will slowly start filtering in now. So, yeah, well done. I and think there'll still be episode. some controversial choices on both sides. That will be a part. Oh, there'll be the odd one. There'll be the odd one. But I think as when we started, it was like... <laughs> Two out of every three games. Are, That's rubbish. But yeah, there we go. So uh, thank you very much, Ronan. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this time. And just a quick reminder, uh, we'll be at Aircon, or I'll be at Aircon. If you do recognise me, I'm a six foot five, bald headed giant of a man. And uh, if you do recognise me, come and say hello. We'd love to see you, chat to you, whatever. And as always, we are proud members of the dice tower network go there and to the dice tower itself for gaming goodness galore we are on social media we have a twitter account we've got our instagram account and we're on facebook if you wish to contact us and please do we love to hear the questions and ideas for the shows and just general chat if you want to you can email us on thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com and we're also available for chat and shenanigans on our Board Game Geek Guild, so pop along there. Thank you 
very much for listening and we'll catch you next time on The Game Pit. Music by E. Allen. Bye, 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 bye,